Welcome to the show Unburden Your Health. This show brings to you experts and insights on what really works when it comes to improving health and well-being. Welcome to another episode of Unburden Your Health. In today's podcast, we are going to be talking about one of the most important organs in our body, the eyes. People often neglect to get their eyes tested regularly. unless they have problems with their vision vision problems such as cataract refractive errors glaucoma diseases of the retina age related macular degeneration these are the conditions that have impacted people of all ages to uncover all these the guest for my show today is one of india's and perhaps the world's leading ophthalmologist and eye surgeon and my very dear friend dr nishikant borse he has an experience of close to 3 decades and has been awarded generously for his work on the retina welcome nishi for coming on the show today thanks sanjay it's always glad to be talking to you whenever possible through our journey together in medicine and then postgraduate until today being together absolutely. and talking to each other is always a pleasure and absolutely absolutely so i know that you know you and i have been you know friends for more than 35 years now but you know maybe for the audience can you tell us about your area of work how did you become involved in this field so i am an ophthalmologist or eye surgeon and i specialize in the field of retina now retina is like the film of the camera uh, or the sensor of the camera so it's one of the most crucial parts of the eye and what makes this uh, this retina more crucial is that it cannot be replaced so it has to be repaired and it has to be protected because if you lose the retina then you are going to lose the vision of that eye so it's a very crucial part and that's where i specialize in so it was during my internship after mbbs that i got interested in ophthalmology because one of my very close friends father had landed up with an eye issue and i sort of ran around for him and then i realized it's so precious to you know have vision and it is such a important thing for us to be able to restore someone's sight and then i got really interested in ophthalmology and then when i did my residency i realized that in mumbai there are only two to three retina people and you know all of the maharashtra state there must have been maybe four and then i realized that this field is something which needs more attention and then i decided to do my fellowship in retina so that's my story for getting interested or involved in ophthalmology and then retina so i remember that you know you um... you moved from mumbai to nasik after you finished your ms in ophthalmology and then from nasik you took a decision to go to chennai to do your specialization so what was the trigger that made you you know move from chennai uh, move to chennai uh, from nasik after having practiced uh, general ophthalmology i think there must have been a trigger that made you select being a retina specialist there right so when i was in nasik i was actually working for an hospital called tulsi eye hospital which was a charitable wing of the jaslok group and they were doing this in partnership with shankara netralay in chennai so during my residency i had already applied to shankara netralay for a fellowship in retina to my luck dr badrinath the great dr badrinath decided to visit tulsi eye hospital nasik to see how the work is going on and we used to work only for the adivasis or the tribal people so he was very interested in that work so when, during his visit he asked me uh, if you are doing such a good work nishikant uh, why don't you do retina and i said sir i have already applied to shankar netrale and i want to learn retina from shankar netrale and then he said well good enough then join in from september and just wow. left amazing and i was stunned and till july i didn't get any feedback from shankar netrale and then i asked the trustee of tulsi eye hospital did dr badrinath actually mean it can you just find out you know what is going to happen i got no letter and nothing so the trustee called dr badrinath and dr badrinath said look when i said here to join you have to join that's it and then you know right. i was wondering what to do uh, because to leave a established practice and to shift to and i you know leaving a running practice which was already established and that's where my wife veena she actually encouraged me and she said this is your dream so you have to drop whatever you have this is a golden chance just go ahead and do it so that's how i joined shankar netrale yeah i can imagine that must have been a 
a tough decision that when you've already established practice and you're doing really well in Nasik, and then to give it up to you know upskill and to grow your skill into a specialized area uh, must have been very tough. But like you said, I think Veena has always been there by your side and supported you in taking these tough decisions, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what Veena did is uh, she actually sort of worked as a consultant in Chankanetrale, so that as an anesthetist. So uh, you know, see, she sort of worked and sponsored my fellowships. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> Correct. No, amazing, amazing, superb. You can't, you can't, you know, or in fact, you know, family support is such a big thing, uh, you know, which 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 helps us overcome so many challenges. So I just wanted to, you know, read out some statistics to you that you know I had noted down that India has the highest number of blind people globally. That's over nine million, and these are some. You know, these are all sourced from WHO. Unoperated cataract being the most common cause of blindness and low vision. Although safe and effective cataract surgical techniques are available, the cataract burden continues to increase annually due to the backlog of patients to be operated upon and a growing number of cataract cases due to, of course, the increased life expectancy. So we know that cataract perhaps is one of the most common eye conditions and maybe along with that is conjunctivitis. So would you like to maybe comment on this, you know, your experience on cataract and conjunctivitis and maybe some of the other sort of prominent eye conditions that people come and, you know, see an ophthalmologist or see eye specialists for? So Sanjay, you're very right that uh, we have a tremendous backlog of cataract cases and other operable eye conditions which can actually serve the population. Uh, if you see the statistics on paper, we do have a lot of ophthalmologists also in our country and a lot of eye establishments too. But there is a lot of imbalance. You will get a lot of eye establishments in a city like Mumbai, where in one kilometer you might have two eye clinics. But as you go to the periphery, they become more and more far off. So when I was in Nasik, you will not believe when we went to these tribal areas, they really didn't know there is something called as an eye surgeon. They actually had not been knowing that a doctor can be specialist in eyes. Okay. Right. And that's the time we actually decided to go more deeper into it. So we got some social work people, workers who actually were employed to go inside. And then we realized that these are the pockets which are having a very high load. And that's where we need to focus on to get rid of this backlog of the cataract load itself right. in the country. Right. And... India being a tropical country, we do have a lot of infections and conjunctivitis is so common. And it is it is actually sad that even today people don't pay attention to ocular hygiene. I mean, your eyes right. are such an important organ, but you know, you ask any person today, what have you done this month to look after your eyes? And the question will be nothing. Okay, right. so it's uh, it's it's as simple as that. So, and as a very basic, simple rule: don't wash your eyes. You are not supposed to touch your eyes, and people don't follow that. Right, and that's itself is very important in preventing uh, conjunctivitis. So, besides cataract and conjunctivitis, I mean, I know we will touch on the retina area, which is your area of specialization. Any other common condition that you know people come and visit you for? So, Sanjay, uh, as you know, our population is becoming old, we are getting more and more age-related diseases too. Now, in that, there is a condition called glaucoma, which in which the pressure of the eye goes up and it sort of dries off your nerve for a period of time due to this pressure, but it happens so slowly that the person doesn't realize it. Right. And by the time they come to you, it's already late. So that condition is increasing and it really needs monitoring. And that means a frequent eye checkup. Right. Age-related changes are coming up in a big way in form of retinal degenerations. And of course, as the diabetes load goes up, we are getting more and more diabetic retinopathy to the extent that that is becoming now slowly the leading cause of blindness after cataract that is happening in India. Right. Now, that, that's, I think, just, it gives me the perfect segue to go to the next part is just to talk about blindness overall. You know, I feel that the purpose of this podcast is to bring awareness among people about the burden of certain health conditions and how what can we do to unburden that. And I think blindness perhaps does not get the attention that it deserves. You know, we see that an estimated one in 1,000 children between the ages of 0 and 15 are blind in India. And 
almost uh, you know 2.7 lakh children in india are blind this is this is the largest number of blind children in any one country so what's your take you know you've been doing this for close to you know three decades now what's what's your take on you know how do we create the awareness about blindness and as you said there are many of the causes are uh, correctable or operable conditions uh, why do you think blindness does not get the kind of attention that it deserves and and how can we create more awareness on preventable causes of blindness so uh, sanjay when we talk of blindness unfortunately the only picture that comes to people's mind is a person who cannot see totally at all okay so but there is a lot of gray zone here you know there are people who are legally blind a legally blind person is his vision is so low that he finds it difficult to do day to day jobs and he finds it difficult to read and write but if you look at him his eyes will be looking normal from outside he might appear to you know walk properly in a familiar surrounding and right. then people really don't realize that he has got a legal blindness so that is one area which is so ignored and these people don't get any facilities or anything at all from the government or any private establishment because they feel that you know this guy is a able person why is he does he need uh, any help so there are a lot of legally blind people who right. are not getting any attention of course the totally blind are also very neglected i mean uh, there are few private sector people who actually go ahead and employ them but other okay. than that there are very few associations namely the national association for blind which does a lot of work for them but going ahead there is very little that is happening for them there is no uh, effort made from either government or private to you know sort of rehabilitate them a uh, right. simple thing if you go abroad uh, when your signal turns green for the pedestrian to cross there is a sort of a sound which is created correct when correct. a signal becomes green and that is basically for the blind people in india you don't right. find anything at all right so there is a lot of work to be done and i i i hope someday you know i can get together with some ngos and start establishing that especially in cities like mumbai where we need to pay attention to them to help them do their day to day chores like you know getting into a train traveling to their work office getting them employed and there is a lot of work to be done in this sure sure absolutely i think uh, i am and 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 that's the endeavor of this podcast is to create awareness among people on you know common issues like blindness which i think need more attention than what it gets today and i think uh, a lot of these conditions probably also start during the childhood that a lot of children have underlying you know causes of eye disease you know just just wanted to understand is it is it more challenging uh, you know to appreciate the conditions in children eye conditions in children you know if you can share some of the common causes and why does you know a children's eye appear to be more challenging than the adult so first of all a child doesn't complain so easily you know imagine a child who's grown up with a lesser vision right. for him that is the vision he doesn't understand that someone is seeing more than him so until and unless you know he we put him on front of our chart and ask him to sign up read that chart or to you know tell us what is on the chart and right. he reads only half of it he doesn't understand that there is another half to that at all so that is the first challenge itself because the child doesn't realize that his vision is not good because he's never been having a good vision since before true true so that is number 1 number 2 the commonest thing in children is a refractive error or glasses number which goes unnoticed right. and that is again only when they go to a school or a higher standard and they are checked in the school or the teacher complains that the parents bring them to us it is very rarely i have seen in my practice that someone actually has brought their child and said look he has got no complaints but i just want to check it for the safety of the child's eye but that is right. not done so that is the second important area the third thing is the child's ocular muscles are so strong if he has got a plus 2 number you know they can actually the intrinsic tone can make it look as if he's got a minus 1 number so oh, okay. we really need to be careful we need to put drops and go into the depths and find out how much is the number and what has to be given okay so these are the challenges and of course children being children you know they are never going to be stable 
and for you to examine the ai closely it's always a challenge and the the best thing that we do is when the child comes to the clinic i just chat with the parent for 5 to 10 minutes and make the child realize that it's just a casual sort of a setup right you know, if you just rush and make the child sit on the chair the child is never going to sit on the chair to be examined right true so so true you know this this uh, takes me back to my childhood that um, sometimes as you said an attentive teacher is who picks it up so perhaps you know i got my uh, eye glasses when i was 10 or 11 and i remember i was in boarding school and i was called out uh, suddenly in the middle of the class that i had to go to the hospital in the boarding school for my eye checkup and i had no idea uh, why i was called out but as you said perhaps one of my teachers could have noticed that i was not able to read what was written on the blackboard and this i'm talking about 1978 79 a uh, long time ago uh, and uh, so i guess like you said an attentive teacher sometimes or an attentive parent so both me and my sister uh, got eye glasses at the age of 10 11 and it's been yeah more than 45 years now that i have been wearing my glasses so i think thanks to my teachers in my boarding school at least they were able to pick it up but like you said i may have had a refractive error even before Uh, and perhaps it never got noticed because that Absolutely. could have been my normal exactly and that's what i mean so you know uh, your world opens up once you get the glasses and you start seeing clearly that's right right a change right, right let me switch gears and you know i'll just maybe share another statistics uh, the national diabetic retinopathy survey of 2015 to 2019 conducted by rp center of ophthalmic sciences under the aegis of the ministry of health and family welfare government of india clearly and significantly showed the prevalence of diabetic retinopathy among diabetics to be close to 17% which is according to me a very high figure so maybe we can start with just your reaction to this figure does this figure sound correct is it is it over reported under reported because that's your area of specialization that 17% of diabetics and we know india is a diabetes capital of the world so almost you'd say one in five or one in six of every diabetic will have a retina problem does that sound correct to you absolutely and this is an average okay so it is more prevalent in cities where lifestyle diseases are higher as compared to a rural setup so right. you can imagine the prevalence is much more in the cities and on any day the amount of diabetic retina work retinopathy work that i have to do as of today is much more than any other condition that i have to pay attention to so, so you would say a large percentage of your opd is of diabetic retinopathy yes yes definitely and uh, not only diabetic retinopathy unfortunately they coming in a very late stage of diabetic retinopathy and that actually what pains me every time i see these patients coming in a late stage because it is a totally avoidable condition so is this the commonest condition of the retina that that is seen in india or i mean is is that what you are seeing that diabetic retinopathy is the commonest condition yeah so if you see a retinal condition the two commonest conditions that of today that we are seeing one is the diabetic retinopathy and second is the age related macular degeneration but yes diabetic retinopathy is far far ahead in prevalence and uh, in the retina opd to be taken care of by any ophthalmologist so so can you just throw some more light on these two topics you know what what is diabetic retinopathy what is age related macular degeneration and as you said these are conditions that you know people should be aware of so that we can pick them up early and in some cases or in many cases as you said they are actually preventable but because people are not aware they come to you very late so maybe you could just throw some more light on these two conditions of the retina all right so let's start with diabetic retinopathy so now what happens in diabetic retinopathy the blood vessels that supply blood to the retina get affected a retina is a part of a brain and it needs very high level of glucose and oxygen to function because right. it's functioning at a overdrive all the time now the blood vessels supplying to the retina are absolutely microscopic as thin as the hair and these blood vessels get affected due to prolonged high sugar levels and these blood vessels can get affected in two ways they either develop multiple leakages or they even get blocked so what okay. you get is a swollen retina 
along with the retina which is starving for oxygen because of the blockage that is happening right and these two together start off a cascade of changes inside the retina and then you get form a swelling of the retina coming in and then the blood uh, starts uh, blood vessels uh, new blood vessels which are abnormal start growing and all these changes over a period of time start damaging the retina so much so that it can finally lead to blindness right so so what would be you know some of your uh, you know words of caution or advice or you know to the diabetic population in the country what would what would be your message to them so a diabetic retinopathy for it to come in there are two factors one is the uh, severity of diabetes and second is the duration right now duration is not in your hand because till the time you are alive you are going to be a diabetic so what you can really do is have the severity of the diabetes down by keeping it under check so that right. sort of prolongs the onset of diabetic retinopathy if you are going to get it definitely or even if you get it it keeps the severity at a lower level secondly no one goes to the end stage of diabetic retinopathy overnight it right. takes at least 5 to 7 years for it to develop so if you are a diabetic and you go and get your eyes checked up and you are in the early stages of diabetic retinopathy it can be easily picked up and it can be counseled to the patient that look you got diabetic retinopathy and you better take care get a control on your sugar and so on and so forth right and the third important thing of diabetic retinopathy is there is a direct correlation between a diabetic eye disease and a diabetic kidney disease so a person right. who's got diabetic retinopathy has nearly the same chances of developing a diabetic kidney disorder too correct so you know for the oral health of the patient it's very important that we monitor the diabetic retinopathy and i think that's a great point you mentioned that you know uh, get your eyes checked but what i've seen you know and uh, you know being a pathologist uh, you know and having a lab blood fasting and you know blood glucose fasting and pp are very often done uh, maybe nowadays we ask people to do glycosylated hemoglobin which is also commonly asked but as you correctly said you know um, monitoring kidney disease whether it's creatinine or microalbumin is also not as frequently done as it should be and i guess the number of or the you know the frequency with which a diabetic needs to get his retina checked is perhaps grossly you know uh, underreported or you know not as well understood by people so what would be your advice how frequently should a diabetic uh, you know get their eyes checked from a specialist like yourself and is there a difference in the approach for a person who is insulin dependent diabetes versus somebody who is taking regular medication or a type 1 diabetic who's you know from a younger age group only has dependent on insulin so is a type of diabetes also going to influence the frequency of a checkup so your advice on the regularity of getting your eyes checked for a diabetic okay uh, so a type 1 diabetic is has got more chances of developing diabetic retinopathy as compared to a type 2 because obviously like i told you the duration so you know a type 1 right. diabetic ends up become a diabetic at a very early age so you know they have to develop a diabetic retinopathy by the time they are 25 30 because by the time they are already 25 or 30 years of diabetes right now uh, any person with diabetes should get their eyes checked at least once a year and then if we find changes of diabetes then according to those severity and the treatment needed then we sort of guide them whether to come every 6 monthly or 3 monthly depending upon the changes right, right but till the time you have not got any changes of diabetes don't take it for granted that everything is okay because just right. because your vision is fine because diabetic retinopathy can progress to a very advanced level without you even realizing that you have got advanced diabetic retinopathy okay so an annual checkup is a must for every diabetic so in fact okay. we had done a project in between where i had sort of sort of uh, set up a clinic in uh, the clinic of a diabetologist right so right. every diabetic who came out we literally said no you are coming for a diabetic check you have to get your eyes checked in okay and and that gave very good results so i think this is where you know a diabetologist and an ophthalmologist need to work together in conjunction so that sure we can prevent this preventable disease sure sure so i think that that's a great takeaway that an annual checkup for the retina for any diabetic patient is a mandatory requirement and just because 
a checkup comes normal does not mean you should ignore it because as you said uh, you know changes for diabetes in the retina can happen really quickly and you may not even realize that your vision could still be normal initially and it just deteriorate rapidly so an annual checkup is very important and you know for me the whole concept of preventive healthcare or to unburden healthcare is uh, encouraging people to look after their health proactively so what i do is you know do a health checkup every year on my birthday because that's one day which you will not forget so i guess maybe you know we could encourage people that around your birthday or if you are a diabetic especially that you know get a eye examination done either a week before or a week after your birthday you know just to give yourself that uh, piece of good vision because as you said if it comes to you early these conditions are preventable right absolutely absolutely uh, to continue on this uh, could you also now you know talk about age related macular degeneration how does it differ from diabetic retinopathy okay now um, age related is basically like we say it's a age related change because our retina undergoes degenerative changes with age so you know uh, every body uh, part creates some by product when it works so the retina also generates some by products when it works and there are layers of the retina which sort of clear off these by products and with age it is difficult for these by products of the retina to be cleared off with the same efficiency so they sort of start getting accumulated there as colloid bodies and then they cause a degeneration in the retina which we call as a age related degeneration of the retina okay. now the center point of the retina is a 3 mm area which helps us to read and write right. or which gives you the best possible vision so the degeneration mainly occurs in this area because this area is the work that works maximally that's why it is called as a age related macular degeneration because it occurs in the macular part of it now there's a variant in this where as a response to this changes you get formation of abnormal new blood vessels which sort of just go and damage the retina and where the vision goes down rapidly and when this happens it gets converted into what we call as a wet age related macular degeneration now these are natural changes that happen in the retina with some amount of familial or genetic predisposition so as our population is aging and as the life expectancy is growing right we are seeing more and more macular degenerations and age related degenerations and more and more wet age related degenerations that are coming in so what is the what's the sort of uh... again is that the same thing i mean an annual eye checkup as you you know become older after what what age or any 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 sort of do's and don'ts on how do we address this age related macular degeneration condition yeah so again it is to be checked frequently and if i find a person has got changes of macular degeneration then we sort of give them a chart to monitor Right. so that if at all a wet degeneration is developing they can catch it early because a wet degeneration if we treat it early we can sort of preserve the vision to a great extent uh, the later you treat it that much lesser is the visual rehabilitation that can take place right right so that's how you know we go about this and it's very crucial because you know what happens is uh, psychologically you can accept that you know you can't run or you cannot walk fast or you cannot climb steps uh you can accept that you know you cannot lift heavy weights but it is not acceptable that you can't read at that age because a person who's aged and is sitting on his armchair most of the times at least wants to read the whole of newspaper or to be active with that and losing the vision has got much more psychological impact on the elderly then if they are not able to walk very fast or you know as fluently as before sure sure so true so true now i can see this with my father uh, you know who's been a patient of yours for so many years and he's been a diabetic and you know uh, i can see that you know for him uh, the the difficulty in being able to read is perhaps you know the most uh, the biggest stumbling block for him and i think of course with your intervention he's he's you know doing extremely well but i can see that you know and i can i can relate to it completely so is there a is there a age above which 
whether you are diabetic or not people should get a regular eye examination done or a retina checkup done uh, do you recommend something like that so i recommend every person above age of 40 to get their eyes checked once in a year because that's the time when you know you can start getting changes in the eye coming in okay uh, everyone knows that you know we get glasses for near after age of 40 so that's the watershed year when you know your eye starts going from uh, a, a normal eye to a sort of eye with some amount of aging changes come in so sure. you know you start getting glasses for near after age of 40 45 right. and that's where the prevalence of glaucoma also starts coming in and that's where all the other changes of the eye start coming in so i think 40 is a watershed year and i still recommend everyone about 40 to get their eyes checked at least once a year so an annual examination after the age of 40 absolutely fantastic you know one of the words that scares people a lot or two words actually is retinal detachment yeah. uh, you know it's it's probably you know the scariest thing people can hear about their eye and you are again a specialist in this area so can you throw more light on this condition okay so like i said uh, retina is like the film of a camera so and the film of the camera is lining the back side of the camera and the same way uh, retina lines the back side of our eye and the light gets focused on the retina and then the retina sort of converts it into electrical signals and then we see now if the retina gets torn and from this tear some amount of fluid leaks inside between the retina and the back side of the eye or the back wall of the eye the retina is starts floating away from its normal position and when right. that occurs we call it as a detachment detachment is retina is not in its normal place right okay so it is one of the main eye emergencies which we face it's more common in people with a high minus number it is more common with aging it is more common with injuries or you know some sort of surgeries so that can predispose you to this condition and it has to be treated as early as possible right. so it's like an emergency of so it, it it is the treatment is essentially surgery right right but you mentioned that it's you know is it also seen in in younger cases now because i have heard of you know patients in their 30s also who get retinal detachment i remember one of our colleagues you know when we were doing our residency she had you know retinal detachment in her 20s so what could be the reasons why younger people are also getting this condition uh like i told sanjay it is more common in people with the myopia or a minus number okay, okay. so in these people uh, the length of the eyeball is slightly more than right. normal so if for every 1 mm increase in the eyeball length you have a number of minus 3 okay, okay. so the retina that one is born with the amount is the same but it needs to cover a longer eyeball so that right, much right. retina gets stretched so you can develop certain weak areas in these retinas which can then give way and cause a retinal detachment okay and alarmingly now the myopic population is increasing we are getting more and more people with myopia and so the incidence right. of detachment also is going to increase so i guess you know i have a number of minus 7 it means my my eyeball is probably 2 mm longer than a regular eyeball would be so i guess yes. i am more predisposed to a retinal detachment than a person who has a regular number i guess so or a yes. normal eyesight yes but okay. you are Understood. countering it that by a regular eye checkup so that's very important of course because like if you have a weak area we can always laser it and make it stronger so that you don't right. get retinal detachment or the chances of detachment become less so again right. there a regular checkup and examination comes into play of course in the beginning of you know when i was introducing you i spoke about you have been you know uh, generously awarded but i think we are all very proud of the award that you got the international recognition for your work on the retinal artery occlusion which is almost like uh, you know doing a uh, angioplasty for the eye um, you know we would like you to speak about that because that's something which i think all of us are really really proud of and it's probably you know a world recognition you know that people should know about so can you tell us your journey 
uh, on this whole patented technology on retinal artery occlusion okay so uh, like sanjay you said retinal artery occlusion is like the stroke or a heart attack where the blood vessel or the central blood vessel that supplies blood to the retina gets blocked right and then you lose vision suddenly so initially we used to sort of reduce the eye pressure give eye massage and you know sort of try to dislodge the blockage because the blockage is by a very small clot or an embolus or something which blocks the artery right and i don't know uh, maybe it is just uh, i don't know out of nowhere i got this idea that if i reduce the pressure of the eye for a very long time so the pressure differential between the area of the blockage so if the block right. is in the middle on one side the pressure is very low and the other side the pressure is high correct and correct the clot is going to move towards the area of the low, low pressure correct so correct. i said why not try a surgery where you know you bring down the pressure of the eye for a longer time and at the same time you massage the blood vessel to allow the blood clot to sort of uh, migrate towards the low pressure zone right uh, so this concept i used and i devised a surgery for that and i was extremely happy that you know it started working and i could restore vision in many people so there right. was a driver whose vision got saved there's an anesthetist whose i got saved she is a cardiovascular anesthetist so there are so many okay. cases that happened right and after i had a series of these cases i said i would publish it so i presented it at the american society of retina specialists where like you said i was awarded uh, for this technology and then even at the european vitreoretinal society where it was awarded by the cesar fornelli award and of course i have been awarded by the indian ophthalmological society and even the vitreoretinal society so i i am very lucky that this technology got uh, or this surgery was recognized on all forums nationally and internationally and uh, i i am always happy to share it with everyone so right. i remember about 2 years back uh, there is a colleague of mine from uh, italy dr barbara parolini and she got a case of central retinal artery occlusion and she said look the patient can't travel all the way to india right. so what do we do so i said why don't you do the surgery and uh, we have a camera to the microscope all of us i said you relate life to me right and i will sort of give you the commentary and you go on doing it so it was like a remote uh, surgery which we did and correct, it correct. was a fantastic experience to do that no great great i think uh, like i said you know in the beginning and you know i continue to maintain that we are extremely proud and you know that you know you continue doing such path breaking work not only for india but for rest of the world so you know our congratulations and you know good wishes for keeping on doing such great work this fantastic and that sort of takes me to the next question you know when you spoke about that you know how you were sitting here and she was operating in italy that how has you know technology changed in ophthalmology and i know you and i oftenly you know we we joke on you know the kind of instruments that we were taught when i was doing mbbs or we were doing mbbs uh, you know and i still remember only those names whether it is open sky vitrectomy or divaker scissors and you oh. keep laughing at me uh but i think you know the role that technology has played uh, over the years in ophthalmology to support such initiatives you know would like you to share some idea because i know india is a signatory to the world health organization's resolution on vision 2020 the right of sight uh you know or the right to sight uh, but you know, what's the role technology has played in in this in this whole progress over the last two and a half decades so ophthalmology has become a very technology driven branch now sanjay so what i saw or what we saw as a student i didn't do when i was doing my residency what i saw during my residency or what i did during my residency i didn't right. do during my fellowship and what i did during my fellowship i am not doing today right. so you know things have changed so rapidly it is like going from one telephone in the house or one telephone in the building to everyone carrying five six mobiles in the house so you know the technology has changed ophthalmology that rapidly right right and it has made results much better you know uh, if you just go back few years a person after age of 70 75 starts losing vision and everyone is to say it is just an old age nothing can be done forget about it right and today we say no he can't lose vision and we are going to do something about it that's the change that has come in a cataract surgery which had 
uh, incision or a cut of one and a half centimeters has become under two millimeters today. Right. You know, the rest a person was advised for six weeks has come down to six days today. So, you know, right. things have changed very rapidly and ophthalmology is a very, very technology-driven branch today. Right. The, the only flip side is more you push in the technology, that much the costs start going up. Okay. Sure. So sure. when you're trying to deliver technology, it always comes with the cost. So true, that's true, true. another problem that a country like India faces because if you want to give results, you want to use the best of the technology. Right. When you're using the best of the technology, it comes to the price. Very true, very true. I guess the, the idea is to see how more and more people adopt technology so that the cost of this technology can come down. And I guess one example of this is uh, LASIK surgery. Uh, I remember, uh, you, you know, you and a, a colleague operating on my sister for LASIK surgery, maybe more than 20 years ago. And today it's become so much more common and easy available. So, you know, maybe your your inputs on how LASIK surgery has, you know, what's the progress that has happened and what's the future of LASIK surgery according to you? So that's another surgery that is technology driven. And LASIK, I would put as one of the highest technologically uh, driven surgery where the role of the surgeon is minimalistic as compared to the role of the machine itself. Because okay. it has got a lot of software algorithms that are fed into the machine to rectify the vision because uh, you know the machine algorithm decides how much laser to give and you know at uh, for what duration is to be given and the surgeon is supposed to just prepare the eye for that now you have to understand lasik is a very uh, different surgery because this is a surgery that is done on an absolutely healthy eye the eye is seeing very well so you know it is done on an absolutely healthy eye so it has to be having as little uh, sort of adverse effects as much as possible and it has to be more successful for the person. Right, right. And that is where the machinery has changed. And just like, you know, our computers went from first generation to second to third to fourth, the LASIK machines have gone on becoming better and better and better. And today right. it has reached quite a very good level of perfection and that's why the acceptance has become more. Otherwise, uh, a surgery which does not really deliver does not get accepted so easily. So are more and more people opting for LASIK surgery today? Yes, because the awareness is very much. Um, right. And more and more people are getting, uh, they accept LASIK surgery more easily. Uh, but there's another flip side to it. There is a next gen which is also comfortable with their glasses. And they find it sure. cool to be with glasses. So, you know, you get right. Right. <laughs> both right. of them True. today. Yeah, but I guess people who are in, you know, uh, sports or, you know, in the performing arts, like in, you know, in the in the media, uh, you know, or actors, I guess they would prefer to, you know, opt for LASIK surgery to get rid of the glasses. Maybe pilots. So there are a significant chunk of population who does not want glasses because they don't want to be dependent on something. And of right. course, like you said, there are certain professional areas where LASIK surgery is needed and they have to do it. So, yes. Sure. And sure. Uh, it's it's good that, you know, uh, because of technology and our in, uh, like increasing understanding of the way the eye functions, we are able to deliver good results in these people and they get rid of the glasses quite well. Right. Yeah, but I guess people like me who have been wearing glasses for more than 45 years, people would not recognize me without my glasses. And I think what my kids tell me is that it makes me look very scary if I'm not wearing my glasses. So I guess... For me, LASIK surgery seems to be a <clears throat> less of a priority item. <laughs> I wanted to quickly touch upon, you know, this, uh, how how common is squint a problem? And, you know, uh, how do you, uh, are you seeing that the incidence of squint going up or going down over the last two and a half decades? Uh, and, you know, what's the, is it easily rectifiable or people tend to ignore it and just live with it? Uh, the incidence of squint, Sanjay, is coming down. And that's a very good thing. Okay. Uh, the incidence comes down because if you see the most common squint is in children, which you call as a convergent squint. And this type of squint is because of a simple thing like the person has got a glasses. What you right. mean by squint is both your eyes are not aligned together. So, you know, for us to look at something, 
both our eyes have to be pointing at the same object when you're seeing so that you get a good three dimensional view right now if your eyes are not aligned what happens is your one eye gets pointed to the object that you see and the other eye is at pointed at some other place so you start getting double vision and our brain in order to prevent this double vision sort of cuts off the supply of one eye or suppresses that eye okay and then okay. so that you can work nicely now if you suppress that eye for a very long time your body is going to forget about that eye and that eye starts becoming something we call it the lazy eye lazy or amblyopia in our term so luckily we are getting people who come to us early when they see it in a child and they don't ignore it and in most of the cases a simple correction with glasses and some basic treatments can rectify that or else we can go ahead and treat it with surgery and right. get it okay and you will be surprised to know that we actually have a subspecialty uh, for pediatric ophthalmology and squint specialist who actually take care of that and they really do a wonderful job okay okay Great. You know something that I wanted to ask you, which I you know missed asking when we were talking about technology, is that many of the retinal conditions are you know corrected because of surgery or injections. But do you see progress made in these areas where you might find topical drops? You know people are used to putting drops in their eye, but not to you know uh, acceptable of putting an injection in their eye. Uh, uh, what's your experience in this? You know having an injection coming into your eye. And, and people maybe finding it very scary to visit a doctor because they'll feel that they'll put an injection and is there any chance that this will go down and you will have more drops to replace these interventions i always hope that there is a time that comes in when we can replace the injections with drops so taking an injection right. in the eye sanjay is always a scary experience for the patient especially when it's the first one of course we numb the eye and it we try to make the experience as painless as possible and then the patient is sort of reassured forget the patient you know when this technology came in about 20 years ago we as ophthalmologists are also started wondering how can we have a monthly injection given in the eye of a patient for treating a condition so we ourselves found it difficult to accept initially about right. this injections you know and then over a period of time we accepted it and then we counseled the patients and now patients have accepted it so these injections are working and doing a wonderful job in preventing blindness in diabetics in age related macular degeneration and many other things right but if there is a way that we can get the same medications into the eye without actually poking the eye sure it would be wonderful right and i believe some progress is being made in these areas as well oh huge so if you see a lot of research is happening towards these uh, molecules now basically these are biologics like we know you know uh, we uh, most of the uh, most of the therapeutic areas in medicine are now moving from like simple chemicals like aspirin and all which we used to use in old technology to something like biologics which are biological molecules which are a complex set of molecules right uh, and these molecules have a very precise action and a very potent action right and uh, these molecules are basically proteins so you cannot ingest it because they'll get totally inactivated in the stomach the minute you have it so it has right. to go into the target organ directly so there is a lot of technology uh, or research that is happening in finding out newer and newer injection or newer and newer molecules which are more potent Right. which are longer acting and which can be delivered there is a lot of uh, research happening on delivery mechanisms also right. and i'm sure i'm sure in some time to come we are going to get it as convenient as just putting drops and getting rid of it so that's that's very reassuring and i think something which you know people can look forward to so coming to the end you know of our conversation uh, you know uh, today in the digital era and you know, people are staring at screens uh, you know either on the laptops or their phones and i guess that must be having a lot of effect on the eye like eye strain uh, maybe what's your experience over the last maybe during the pandemic when you know almost everybody has just been fixated on the screens or the digital uh, platforms 
have you seen ice trains increase in the digital era and you know what's what, what's your experience on ice train overall okay uh, the digital era has definitely changed the way people use their eyes they have become quite casual about their eyes they really don't look after them that's number one okay. Okay. so we have to understand certain basic things about our eyes when we are using a screen so we never got tired while we read a book but we get tired when you read something on a tablet or a computer screen because our eyes are not designed to look at a source of light or a light emitting source so you cannot look at the sun for a long time you cannot look at the moon for a very long time because there are light emitting sources so your your screens are also light emitting sources but a book is not light emitting it is the right light reflecting source so the right. more you look at a light emitting source that much it is going to cause your eyes to get tired because they are not designed for that secondly when we use a screen we don't blink we keep on staring at the computer we don't want to even miss one second of action so if you're looking at a movie or something you don't even blink because right. you don't want to miss even that much so that causes the surface of the eye to start drying up because we blink at least 7 times a minute and why we blink that way is so that the eye surface remains moist and healthy because our tears are natural healers and natural protectant right and you need good amount of tears on your eyes for it to have a good clarity of vision so if you don't blink and you keep staring you're going to develop dry spots all over your eyes and that's going to affect the health of your eye over a period of time sure so my uh, advice is don't put all potatoes in one basket so you know you cannot have learning work entertainment and super entertainment all based on a screen you need to diversify from that and i always tell the tech people who come to me that every time you press enter remember to blink So okay wow at least that's a nice uh, that thumb way. rule <laughs> <laughs> literally thumb rule you press enter with your thumb blink at that same time blink at the same time oh great great so you know what would be some of the do's and don'ts for keeping healthy eyes just some few basic tips from you okay so we came over and over that again uh, during the talks one don't forget to get your eyes checked regularly I mean, people send their car every year for a checkup, but they don't take their eyes for a checkup. So that's right. that. That's as uh, that's the biggest fallacy that we are facing today. Okay, uh, that's a, that's the irony. The second thing is, don't touch your eyes. You don't really need to rub your eyes. Number three, don't need to wash your eyes. Your tears are sufficient enough, and they are the best antibacterial. So don't wash away your tears. Let them be in the eyes. So right. all you need to do is take a moist soft cloth and wipe the edges of the eye morning and evening and that's all that you should do to keep your eyes healthy right. don't touch them because when you get conjunctivitis the bacteria or the virus has been transported to your eyes by you through your hand okay okay so if you don't okay. touch your eyes you're not going to get the infection see we we get so many conjunctivitis cases but we don't get of uh, those conjunctivitis by just looking at the patient so there's a bis misnomer that you know you get conjunctivitis by looking at a person having conjunctivitis right is basically if you touch your eye so if you don't do that you're going to keep your eye safe and nice wonderful wonderful like these are very <clears throat> simple steps but people probably don't do it often enough uh, you know great great tips on this um looking back at your career path you know what has been the most rewarding experience for you i'm sure there have been so many like you said you know restoring vision to somebody who could have become blind perhaps has been the most rewarding but if you could you know just enumerate a couple of uh, you know cases or something that has been most rewarding for you over your last two and a half decades so every time a blind guy sees i think <clears throat> it gives me immense peace that day i feel right. that you know i have achieved something so there sure. is this one thing that comes to my mind you know i had gone to ethiopia to do some charitable uh, surgeries okay. and uh, we had carried equipment for about 100 surgeries and we were reaching the end of those 100 surgeries and you know there was a lot of banging on the door outside because there was a crowd waiting to barge in to get operated because even there the backlog is tremendous 
right so we were told to get out from some other way through a ward and there was this girl in that ward who was blind since a childhood right and uh, i just uh, wanted to check her so i checked her and i found that she had a condition but i didn't have the equipment to treat her in ethiopia right and she just held on to my hand and said that you know uh, in her language that she's not going to let me know because uh, let me go because she knows that she will see and i she wanted me to treat her right so there was a indian businessman who had organized this camp uh, who was there so i told him like you know mr mehta if you can get this girl to mumbai i promise i'll treat her and i'll treat her free of charge but i right. need her to be there in mumbai because i want the right amount of equipment to treat her right so he actually arranged for her to come to mumbai with her one of the attendant and then i operated on her and i still had the sight in front of me when you know she started seeing with both her eyes she just got out of my clinic and was running on the road constantly wow. for half an hour because wow. she could actually see wow. and you know wow. that was a sight which i still can't forget and it was such a joy wow. to see that you know a person can now run around and she was so happy at that time wow and that is something that would actually give me immense happiness throughout my life from that's so one it's sounding it's sounding like a you know scene from a movie but this is the real life you know so amazing amazing excellent you know this this show is about uh, how do we unburden the burden of health you know for people and you have given some great examples on how we can you know become more aware about the eye and unburden the you know uh, the eye burden that's there in our country what is your plan to unburden your health in this year you know there are a lot of challenges we all face so do you have a plan for yourself what is your unburden your health plan for this year uh so sanjay what happened is when there was a lockdown announced so i actually sort of made a promise to myself that every month that i am in the lockdown or you know you're working less i'm going to make myself that much more fitter by right. at least 5 to 10% you know correct so i started going for regular walks and you know regular exercises and doing breathing exercises and yoga just to keep a positive health and a positive mental attitude because i think that is something that will carry us uh, through this pandemic so i started off with this and i am now at least 50 to 60% more fitter than what i was a year back and wow. that's the way i earn burden my health problems and i i i feel whenever you are faced with some challenges you should use a disadvantage to your advantage and try to make the most out of it correct correct so true so true you know convert every challenge into an opportunity and i think that's what you did is to convert this challenge of a lockdown to you know unburden your own health by becoming fitter and like you said putting a monthly goal that each month you will be better off than the previous month and that's a great you know great example thank you so much for sharing your experience with us nishi today and you know i'm sure you know when people are listening to this you know they'll just they'll have a lot more clearer vision they'll have 6 6 or 20 20 vision about how to keep themselves healthier so thank you again nishi and wish you all the best Thanks Sanjay it was a pleasure talking to you all thank you and that's a wrap for our episode today thank you so much for listening new episodes are out every alternate tuesday if you like this episode don't forget to subscribe to our show you can listen to our show on all major podcasting platforms like google podcast apple podcast and wherever you listen to your podcast from If you are an Apple or an iOS user, you can share your ratings and reviews on the Apple Podcast app. If you have any questions related to health or would like to share your feedback, you can reach me on my social media handles at Dr. Sanjay Arora on LinkedIn and Facebook and Dr. Sanjay Arora on Instagram. Thank you.